There's a famous poem uh, entitled uh, The Touch of the Master's Hand. It's written by uh, Myra Brooks Welch. Uh, and uh, the poem goes like this. It says, "'Twas battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. "'What am I bidden, good folks?' he cried." Who will start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar. Then two, only two? Two dollars, and who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, and going for three. But no. Uh, from the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who will make it two? Two thousand, and who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried, we do not understand. What's changed its worth? Swift came the reply. The touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. And he is going once and going twice, he's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. Famous, famous poem outlining how God can take the, the ordinary and seemingly insignificant uh, and make it extraordinary, and use it for his purposes and uh, his plans. Uh, and he takes what is often cast aside uh, and seemingly uh, unwanted, uh, and he uses it to make glorious uh, music, sweet and amazing, uh, according to uh, his tune. Uh, and, and what we're going to see this morning uh, are the lives of, of two men who were, who were ordinary, you know, who weren't called to, to great things, but they were used in a, in a great way in ordinary uh, life settings. Uh, and, and what we'll see uh, this morning, as we see about these two men, is that there are, there are no small parts uh, in God's plan of redemption. Uh, there are no uh, minor roles in uh, the way that God uses people. Uh, and as we, as we look at this this morning... Uh, beginning in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, uh, this is typically the portion of Colossians that we, we kind of start to speed read, right? You're like, he starts to mention all of these people, I don't know who any of them are, uh, and it seems just like it's very personal, but not necessarily practical for us. Uh, and in this closing section, uh, these, these final 12 verses, uh, Paul is going to be writing about his relationships uh, either with those who are in Colossae or those who, uh, here, who are with him in Rome, uh, and who are sending greetings to the Colossian church. And uh, th there's three big sections uh, that uh, break down these final 12 verses. We're going to look at the first of them uh, today. 
uh, in verses 7 through 9. And in that, Paul is going to write about the two men who are carrying this letter from Rome uh, to the town of Colossae. Uh, in, in verses 10 through 14, he's going to outline six other men who are with him in Rome, who are, who are with him while he is in prison and send their greetings as well. And we'll look at uh, those men uh, and the lives of how God has worked in each of them. Those six men will take two weeks on that. Uh, and then the, the final uh, portion of the, of the book, verses 15 through 18, Paul gives four exhortations to the, to the Colossian church. And we'll also see there's another church in a nearby town named Laodicea. And he's going to encourage uh, them as well. Uh, and and all these, these, eight, these 12 verses, uh, normally we just skim past them, but they have much to say and much to teach us about how we are to interact with others. We're going to see uh, the way that Paul used and applied the gospel in his own relationships and the relationships that were forged as he went and, per- and did gospel ministry alongside others. Uh, and look with me in verses 7 through 9. That's what we're going we're gonna to land on this morning and read it there with me. It says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Here, And what we will see this morning are these, these two faithful men uh, and why Paul sent them to Colossae. Uh, and what we have to ask, why is this important to us today? Right? 2,000 years later, why are these three verses and, and these two individuals, what, what do they have to tell us uh, two millennia later? Uh, and why is this significant? Why is this worth our time on a Sunday morning? Well, uh, what we're going to see is how God used these ordinary men in a small but not an insignificant way. Uh, and that we might be able to see how God is using us. Again, not in a, maybe in a small way, but definitely not insignificant. Uh, and that God is still using ordinary people to accomplish his plan of redemption. Again, there are no small parts in God's plan. So let's, let's look first at the messengers. As you follow along in your outline, we'll see uh, the seemingly insignificant messengers. Not the insignificant messengers, but, but seemingly so. Uh, and the, as I mentioned, there are these two men, Tychicus and Onesimus. Those are two really cool names, right? So if, uh, if you write those down, if you're, you're a young couple looking for baby names. But uh, Tychicus uh, was a, a Gentile convert from, from Asia Minor, uh, and who probably came to faith uh, during the two-year ministry of Paul in the city of Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is the major town on Asia Minor at that point in time, uh, and Colossae is about 75 miles inland from Ephesus. Uh, and if you look, turn with me to, to the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 19. Uh, that's where we will see Paul's ministry in Ephesus uh, on his third missionary journey. Uh, and uh, 1921, what heading do you have there? I have a riot in Ephesus. Uh, we see that there was a, a riot as the, uh, the idolaters in Ephesus, the, literally the idol makers are saying, hey, if Paul keeps preaching this gospel, we're going to be out of work. <laughs> I make idols for a living, so if he's saying don't, don't worship idols, I'm, I have a, a business decision to make. Uh, and so there was, they, they stirred up this riot, and then at the beginning of chapter 20, uh, we'll see that after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. 
which is the part of northern Greece. When he had gone through those regions and given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Now there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, uh, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, uh, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, speaking of Asia Minor, Tychicus and Trophimus. Uh, see, this is where we are first introduced to this man, Tychicus. And, and he, like I said, probably came to faith when, when Paul was ministering in Ephesus and then traveled with him on that third missionary journey. Uh, and then we're not sure if he, if he stopped back off in Ephesus or if he continued back on with Paul uh, back to Jerusalem where Paul was imprisoned uh, uh, and arrested and then in Caesarea. And then he appealed to go and speak to Caesar. Uh, and he makes his journey to Rome at the end of Acts. And then... Somehow, Tychicus reconnects with Paul. He could have been with him throughout that entire time, or he could have met back up uh, in Rome later on. Uh, But now, Tychicus is with Paul and has been with him for some time. And then Paul sends him on a very important mission. Uh, he's, He's to carry three letters of the New Testament. He carries Colossians and Philemon, and also uh, the letter to the Ephesians, since they were close by one another. And to deliver these letters was not a small task. Uh, Tychicus would have had to walk all the way down the Italian peninsula, which looks like, what, the boot. Uh, He has to walk down the boot, cross the uh, Adriatic Sea, uh, which would not have been fun, depending on the time of year. Then he would have had to to cross uh, the land part of Greece and then hop on another boat and cross the Aegean Sea to get to the Asia Minor. Right, journey of about a thousand miles just to deliver these three letters, uh, and and this was this was a very serious um, responsibility that he would have been entrusted with, and and notice that that Paul wants the Colossians to know how trustworthy Tychicus is. Paul knows, otherwise he wouldn't have just sent him. Hey, take these three really important letters. Uh, and you wouldn't entrust that to somebody who was unfaithful. But uh, look at the, how he describes uh, Tychicus as we, as we turn back to Colossians. He says that he is a beloved brother, he is a faithful minister, and he is a fellow servant or bond servant or the idea of a slave in the Lord. Uh, and as we look at those descriptors, a beloved brother is pretty simple. He's speaking of a brother in Christ. Of hey, this is a this is a another believer that you should acknowledge and welcome. Then he says that he is also a a faithful minister, and that word for minister is where we would get our term deacon. Uh, he he is a he is a servant. Uh, he is a a co laborer for the gospel. And then that last term that he is. Uh, a, a bondservant or a slave in the Lord. Uh, he is a, a slave of Christ. It's the same word that was used in chapter 3, verse 22, and chapter 4, verse 1, to describe slaves who interact with their masters and how they were to do that. Uh, Paul viewed himself as a slave of Christ, and that he referred to his fellow workers as slaves of Christ. This is, was their relationship with their Lord and Master. Uh, and what we can gather from these these three... Uh, I guess, descriptors of, of Tychicus is that uh, he was utterly dependable. Uh, 
Someone said that the best ability is dependability. Uh, and Tychicus was faithful in that, that he was a faithful man who had labored uh, with Christ for maybe four years up until that point in time. Uh, been with him uh, through long travels, uh, been with him in prison. Uh, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. You see that in Acts chapter 28. And Tychicus had been with him uh, during that time. Uh, and we don't know much about, more about Tychicus except also this. Uh, at the end of his life, uh, in 2 Timothy, when, when Paul is in his second Roman imprisonment, he's writing Colossians in, in his first round of being imprisoned in, in Rome. But during his second Roman imprisonment, he's, he's on death row. He, he's waiting to be executed. Uh, and he knows his days are numbered. And what he does, it, he writes this letter to, to Timothy. And as you read it, read it as uh, kind of a, a letter from a deathbed. Uh, writing to Timothy uh, was Paul's, you know, he quotes, son in the faith. And he, he's writing to him. And it's possible that Tychicus also carried that letter. Because at the, at the end of that letter, uh, Paul says, I'm sending Tychicus to Ephesus. And that's where, that's where Timothy was. So it could have been that in order to free Timothy up to come and visit him in Rome, he sends Tychicus to kind of begin to be the pastor and overseer in the city of Ephesus as well. Uh, and so that's the, that's the first man that we see, this faithful uh, and beloved brother who's a fellow servant in the Lord. Uh, and then if you jump down to, to verse 9, we'll see that Tychicus didn't make that journey alone, but he was sent with another man uh, named Onesimus, where I guess the first time I read it, one Simus? That's, that's an interesting name. Uh, and, and Onesimus uh, is a very amazing story. Onesimus is... A runaway slave whom Paul met in Rome. And we don't have all the details about how or when this took place, uh, but we know that the result was that Onesimus came to faith in Christ. This runaway slave encounters Paul. Paul shares the gospel with him, and now Onesimus is a believer. Uh, And Onesimus had stolen from his master. Uh, and run away to Rome to disappear in the crowds. Uh, it's estimated uh, at that point in time that maybe upwards of a third of the entire population of the city of Rome was made up of slaves. So if you're a runaway slave, that's a really easy place to go and hide because you, you would fit in there. Uh, and, and how amazing is it that in the providence of God, this, this runaway slave encounters Paul, uh, and then maybe a little bit later, uh, we're not sure because we don't know when Onesimus encountered Paul, but later on, Paul is going to be writing to Onesimus' hometown uh, and uh, writing to the church that meets in his master's house. See, Onesimus' master was a guy named Philemon. Uh, And again, we're going to look at the letter to Philemon after this, but the church at Colossae might have met in Philemon's house, uh, and Philemon was probably one of the leaders of the Colossian church. Uh, And so now... uh, Onesimus is, is from Colossae, and that's why he says, hey, he was one of you. But I also think it's kind of a double meaning there, because he's also saying that Onesimus, who was previously an unbeliever who had run away from his master, who is now, he's one of you, yes, as a Colossian, but he's also one of you as a believer. Uh, he is now a brother in Christ, in addition to just being from Colossae. And so here we have this slave who, who's stolen money and run away, now suddenly returning to his master's house with Tychicus. Now, if, if you are, if you're the Colossian church, and we'll talk more about this when we look at Philemon, but uh, in comes this messenger of Paul, and then you see somebody that you recognize. Hey, isn't that, isn't that so-and-so? Isn't that 
Onesimus who ran away? Uh, so you're going to have all of these, these questions, and there's going to be this stir. And if you're Philemon, if you were the, the owner of this slave who had stolen from you and run away, and suddenly he, he comes back with a messenger from Paul, what's going to be going through your mind at this time? Uh, and we'll see uh, that there's so much between, in this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon that we're going to be looking at that in the weeks to come. But, but notice just for now the words that, that Paul uses to describe Onesimus and their similarity to how he described Tychicus. Uh, he says, uh, and Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? He, he says, hey, not only is Onesimus beloved of Paul, but he is a brother. And again, what is he meaning there? That he is now a brother in Christ. And we'll see, so now Philemon, who had a, a slave and right away, now this slave is returning uh, as an equal in Christ. And how, what is that relationship going to, to look like? Uh, and he says also that, that Onesimus, this one who had stolen and run away, is faithful. He's trustworthy. And if you're Philemon, what's been your experience with Onesimus? Unfaithful, untrustworthy. He stole and ran away. But here the Apostle Paul is saying, no, he is a faithful and beloved brother. It's also interesting to note that what's missing, what's the difference between those two descriptions? Paul doesn't refer to Onesimus as a, as a fellow bondservant, as a fellow slave in the Lord. Uh, and that could be that he, maybe he didn't see Onesimus as, as a co-laborer, uh, but I don't think that's the case. I think it's also because Onesimus is, is literally a slave, uh, that he, he is owned by Philemon, uh, and he, he, that would, could be confusing. So I don't think there's anything that we need to read into that other than uh, just the, the different statuses of, hey, slave and free, but they're both equal in Christ. So, so these two faithful men, they're both described as faithful, are, are sent to carry these letters across land and sea uh, to the recipients in Asia Minor. And we need to pause there for a second, because we are so blessed in our country. When we need to mail something, how many options do we have? USPS, uh, UPS, FedEx, you know, DHL. We have all of these different services. If we want to mail something to the other side of the country uh, and get it there tomorrow, we can do that. It'll cost us a pretty penny, but it's possible. But when in Roman times, in the first century, to, to send a letter was a big deal. Because it, you couldn't uh, just rewrite. Oh, yes, you could rewrite it. But in and of themselves, parchment and ink and pens were commodities. Those were expensive items. They weren't just, let me go down to the, the parchment factory and just churning it out. Uh, all of those items would have been expensive. And then to, to take the time to write and then send, you had to send something by hand. You had to send a courier. And then as soon as you give that message to the courier to, to, to carry, who are you dependent upon? That courier, if something happens to him, the message fails. Or if he decides, you know what, I'm going to take a detour for several years. Or maybe I'm just going to go, uh, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go somewhere else with these letters. It, your message may not ever be taken to where it is intended to be delivered. Uh, and that's where a, a courier w- was such an important role and such an important task in the ancient world. Listen to these verbs, uh, verses from, from Proverbs. Uh, 1317 says, A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Yeah, a faithful messenger is able to bring healing and hope to the one that he is carrying a message to. And then Proverbs 25, 13, Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest 
is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. And what, he's, what is that saying there? Has ever been working hard outside when it's really hot? Right, you're, you're just covered in, in sweat. you got your hat on. And then suddenly this little cool breeze comes. Uh, and you're like, oh, that feels so nice. Uh, that, that is what the, uh, this proverb is saying, uh, is that the, the cold of, of snow coming at you in the time of harvest and in the heat of the, the summer and the fall, uh, that, that's what a faithful messenger is like. He, he refreshes the soul of the one who sent him. Uh, and, and that is how we should see these men. Uh, if these were faithful men to travel a thousand miles just to deliver a letter to people that, uh, that Tychicus never knew, and Onesimus is going back to, uh, to a master, he doesn't know how he's going to respond. Like, yeah, I ran away and stole, uh, and so we need to see just the carrying of this letter to be an act of worship to God, an act of, of love, and an act of service on their part. And that these were, were faithful men, and their conduct needs to be Noted, and he's he's lumping these two men in with another man uh, named Epaphras. If you're there in Colossians, look with me at the at uh, the beginning of chapter one, verses seven and eight. And so, Paul had never been to the church in Colossae. He had never met them, and yet Epaphras comes to Paul. Again, he, he makes the trek to Paul in Rome uh, to speak with him about uh, issues that were going on in the church. And Epaphras, who was one of the the church leaders. Uh, he describes Epaphras in this way. Uh, verse 7, Just as you learned it, speaking of the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So he's, he's using these same words and descriptors to, uh, to describe these men that the Colossians have never met, or they've met one who's been unfaithful. But he, he compares them and uses the same words as Epaphras. And they know Epaphras' character. And he lumps them into, into the same category uh, with him of, hey, these are fellow workers uh, for the gospel who are faithful in their service. So those are the two seemingly insignificant messengers. And then let's look at what, what were they intended to do? What message were they intended to carry? Let's look back at, at chapter 4. Well, obviously, number one, they were supposed to deliver the letters. <laughs> they were supposed to deliver the letters that had been, had been entrusted with. But then look at the beginning of verse 7. Says Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Uh, then verse eight, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And then at the end of chapter nine or verse nine, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So number one, they were to deliver a letter. Number two, they were to inform the Colossians about how Paul was doing, what his situation was like there in Rome. How, yes, he's in prison, but he's under house arrest so he can still have visitors and guests and look at the gospel going forth, uh, even as Paul is imprisoned. And then secondly, at the end of uh, verse 8, he says that he is sending these, these men, Tychicus and Onesimus, with him to, to encourage the hearts of the Colossians. Right? Uh, he says... Uh, and that, that you may know how we are, Paul and his companions, and that he may encourage your hearts. The, the idea of encouraging someone, of, hey, coming alongside them uh, and, uh, and speaking to them in a way that the result of your, your conversation is that they have hope, that they have courage, that they are instilled with uh, that after that conversation. The idea of coming alongside in this way, uh, Paul says, hey, I'm, Paul couldn't come to the Colossians directly. He's, in, he's under house arrest. 
Uh, and since he couldn't do it, what did he do? He wrote a letter, and then he sent faithful men to deliver that letter and to, to inform the Colossians of everything that was taking place with Paul uh, and to bring them the good news of what was taking place. And then verse 9, at the, end, at the end, he says, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And that could refer to uh, what Paul, uh, the, the status of the church in Rome, how the church was growing. But I also think, uh, more importantly, is what has taken place in the life of Onesimus. Because again, if you're, one, if you're a member of the Colossian church, suddenly Onesimus, this runaway slave, is coming back to you. And Paul is describing him in this way. What questions would you have? What happened? Tell me about that. He's like, okay, Onesimus, pull up a chair. Tell me, tell me your testimony. I want to hear this. And now that would have been an amazing thing. And just uh, we see that this, these seemingly insignificant messengers, right, these two ordinary men, who, who we don't know that much more about in Scripture, uh, are sent to carry this letter uh, to a, a church of people uh, a thousand miles away. And their message isn't that significant, right? Say, tell, uh, tell them how the Apostle Paul is doing. Let them know what's happened with Onesimus. Uh, give them this letter. Uh, and yet what we're going to see is that uh, these two messengers and the message that they carried was extremely significant. And it has implications and applications to our own lives today. Uh, so let's look at this. Uh, this last portion, uh, and we'll spend some time here, is the significance of the messengers and their message. Okay, first we see that, why is this still important? Well, we see that deep relationships are formed as you minister alongside others uh, in the advancement of the gospel. Right, you, you will, uh, as, as we work together to share the gospel, to, to proclaim Jesus in our area, we will form deep relationships. Uh, we will, we will uh, get to know one another, and we will also uh, at time, times part ways with one another. Uh, when, uh, when Paul writes in Philemon, and he's saying, hey, uh, I'm sending Onesimus back to you. Paul says, I'm sending my heart to you. That's, that's how uh, affectionate he had become towards Onesimus. Here's a dearly beloved brother, and now Paul is sending him away uh, because that was the right thing to do, as we will see. Uh, Philemon 12 and 13, Paul says, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. As Paul had, had worked alongside uh, these men, and as we'll see, this is in the end of Colossians, he's going to mention eight men that, that, that who were with him in Rome, that he was working alongside in ministry and how he had forged these deep and lasting relationships with him. Uh, and we need to, to see, as, as we do church together, which I don't necessarily like that term of doing church, but as we come alongside one another and, and live life with one another, there's going to be relationships that form. Uh, and those are going to be some of the deepest relationships that we will have in life. And what, what happens with deep relationships? There are deep hurts that come with that. Uh, we're going to see uh, it's difficult when, when you have a deep relationship with someone, it's difficult to part ways with them. We see that with Paul and Onesimus. Uh, as you also look, um, look at verse 14 uh, in Colossians 4. There's two men mentioned there. Luke, the beloved physician, who's the author of Luke and Acts. And then who's that second man? A man named Demas. Uh, and what we're going to look at when we get there is, but Demas is one who 
who had ministered alongside Paul for years and then fell away from the faith. He ministered for years, was, was a co-laborer, and then said, no, this isn't for me. Uh, he loved this present world. Uh, and so as we forge deep relationships, there's opportunities for deep hurt, for, for painful goodbyes. But also, deep relationships bring what? Great joy, great satisfaction in, uh, as we co-labor for the glory of God. We get to serve him faithfully uh, and do what he has called us to do. Uh, so that, that's the, our first takeaway, that as we minister together for the gospel, we will develop deep relationships. Secondly, uh, we, we are called to serve faithfully in whatever capacity the Lord has called us. No matter we are, what we are called to do, we should do it faithfully. So these, were, these men were not well known, but they were faithful. Uh, they served in the capacity that they were called. Uh, they were not called to be apostles themselves, but they were called to be helpers to an apostle. Right, to, to carry letters in this small way. And what capacity have you been called to serve God? And are you serving faithfully? And, if, uh, and understand that there are no small roles in the kingdom of God. That everything that we do, even little things, can, can be uh, used by God in his plan. Uh, Pastor R. Kent Hughes says that there is greatness in the smallest things done for Christ. Uh, and that little things done in the name of Christ are an important plan, uh, important part of God's overarching plan. Uh, momentary things done in the name of Christ will last for all of eternity. Think about that. These little things, like sharing the gospel with somebody, uh, can have such a large uh, and long-lasting effect. So Paul's letter, which Tychicus and Onesimus delivered, has outlasted empire after empire after empire. Right? The Roman Empire, where is it? It's, it's gone. But what still stands? The letter that they delivered during that time. This letter has outlasted them, and they were the ones who, who carried that letter. Uh, and I think it's going to be uh, amazing when we get to heaven of seeing little things that we've done that God used in a tremendous way. Like, oh, really? That was that, was that important that I did that on that day? Uh, there's a, a famous proverb uh, that's entitled, For Want of a Nail. Uh, which shows how a tiny, insignificant article can impact an entire kingdom. It says, for the want or the lack of a nail, the horseshoe was lost. For the want of a horseshoe, the horse was lost. For the want of a, a horse, the rider was lost. For the want of a rider, the battle was lost. For the want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. One little horseshoe falling out uh, of, of the hoof of a horse can have uh, this domino effect uh, upon an entire kingdom. Uh, and, and that's what we need to see. Uh, and, and you look and see Paul sharing the gospel with this one runaway slave, Onesimus. That's going to, uh, that, that's going to change, number, number one, Onesimus' life. Right? And it's going to transform him. He's going to, he thought he was going to run away and have a new life in Rome as a runaway slave, but he didn't knew his new life wasn't going to come as a runaway, but it was going to come through faith in Christ. That's his new life. And now he's coming back to his master, which is going to be a demonstration of his faith, of his repentance, 
there's going to be a letter to accompany it, which is going to help us to see and understand how do I interact with those who are in authority? How do I interact with those uh, I'm in a relationship with, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ? We'll learn so much in that letter to Philemon, but that, fi- that letter to Philemon was necessary because Paul shared the gospel with one run- runaway slave. And how many people throughout history have benefited from looking at Colossians, looking at Onesimus, looking at Philemon, and understanding those things? And what good is a letter that Paul writes if there's nobody to, to deliver it, right? There's small acts of obedience to God can be used by him in a great and amazing way in his plan. Thirdly, what we see here, uh, and it's a little bit more implied, is that your past sins do not keep you from being used by God now, right? Again, putting ourselves in the sandals of Onesimus. Uh, if if you were him, how, how would you feel going back to your master? What, what would always be on your mind on that journey? Because that wasn't like a two-hour flight, right? right? That, that's, a, uh, that's a couple weeks' journey of walking, of sailing. What's going to be on your mind that entire time? How's my master going to respond? What's going to happen? And, and what did Philemon legally have the right to do in the Roman Empire because Onesimus is a slave? He could have beaten him, even to the point of death. He could have had him killed for running away. So understanding this is what Onesimus is doing. But what has Onesimus said? Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to return. And even though I was a, a runaway and a, a thief, what does Onesimus understand now? That he can still be used by God. Uh, and what's amazing uh, is that Onesimus, his name means useful. Uh, and Paul's going to play on that in his letter to Philemon. Of, he, he was once useless to you, but now he is useful to me, and he can be useful to you. Uh, so where once uh, Onesimus had been in rebellion, first and foremost, against his heavenly creator, he was also in rebellion against his earthly master. And now Paul is sending him back and saying, you can be used by both God and your master for the glory of God uh, and the benefit of uh, Philemon. Uh, and, and this is the, the power of the gospel, that God can, can transform anyone, no matter where they're coming from, and use them to accomplish his plans. Listen to these verses in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. God's going to, uh, or Paul's going to list out all of these categories of sin uh, and, and describe this. And then he's going to say, Corinthians, you were like this. This, these, this is who you were, but now you have been transformed. Listen to these verses. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And if he just stopped there, we would all be condemned, right? We all would fall into those categories. Like That that was me. Uh, I fit into multiple of those. But, but this is the, the amazing part, and this is what the gospel does. Verse 11, Paul says, And such were some of you. Corinthians, you used to be that way, but now you're different. You've been washed. You've been scrubbed clean. He says, But such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is what the gospel does. This is what God does to sinners who are in rebellion against him. He takes them, uh, saves them by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and then uses them 
for his glory. This is what he did with Onesimus. This is what he's done with each and every one of us. Uh, we've, been, we've been looking in, in past weeks about, uh, in Colossians chapter 4, of Paul saying, be devoted to prayer, and specifically prayer for evangelism, that doors would be opened and that the gospel would be clearly spoken. And then last week we looked at that we should walk in, in wisdom, that we should walk wisely as, uh, as we interact with those in the world. And, and what's amazing is, so we used to be in the world, and now God wants us to reach the world with the gospel. What he's done in us, he now wants to do through us. He now wants to use us to reach others, and that's what he is doing with Onesimus. That's what he's calling us to do also. When we believe in Jesus, we are forgiven. We are made new. We will be adopted into his family. We will be used as his instrument in his hands to accomplish his purposes. And and no matter what we've done in the past, we can still be used by him. Amen? How encouraging that is. Uh, and that is what we see here in Onesimus. Uh, and that's where if, if we are with Onesimus and, and saying, hey, uh, I was a sinner and now God is using me, we can praise God, thank him. Lord, I don't deserve to be used by you. I just deserve your judgment. But we can thank and praise God for how he is working in us and through us. And then if we've never looked to Christ in faith, if, you, if you've never trusted in Christ, but you are still trusting in your own works, in your own ability to save yourself, may you look to him today. Leave your own works behind. Leave your own ideas of how to get to heaven behind and look to Christ in faith. Be made new into a creation that God can use for his glory, honor, and praise. That is what we see here in the life of Onesimus, and we see that him being used by Paul and by God To carry this letter shows us that there is nobody who God cannot use for his purposes. Fourthly and and lastly, we see that that repentance for past sins is a part of the Christian life. We also see this in Onesimus. Because he's going back to the master that he sinned against. See, he's not merely carrying the letter. He's going back to reconcile. He's going back to confess sin against his master and to repent. Uh, and, and he's going back at the instruction of Paul. And as we think about that, say, wow, so if Onesimus is, is a free man and equal with his master now in Christ, we see that in Colossians 3.11, uh, that that slave, the Jew and uh, circumcised and uncircumcised, Jew and Gentile, they're all equal in Christ. And he even says slave and free. If Onesimus is, is now equal with his master in Christ, why does he have to go back? Why does he have to submit himself to that danger of how his master will respond? Because faith and repentance are two sides of the same coin. If we If we believe in Jesus, if we're saying... Jesus, I'm going to trust in you. I can't save myself. My sin against the Holy God has separated me, uh, and there's no way for me to fix it, so I'm going to trust in Christ. If we believe that, and if we place our faith in Jesus, we also are also in agreement with him about our sin. That, that, and we, want to begin to, we should begin to hate sin if we turn to Jesus in faith. We begin to see what cost Jesus his life. Sin. Our sin. And if, if my sin cost Jesus his life, why would I want to go and be friends with sin? 
It's like, Adam, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. You cost my Savior his life. Why would I want to go back to that? So as, as we come to faith in Christ, we naturally also have to turn from sin. If, as you turn to something, you naturally turn away from something else. Right? When you make a U-turn, what are you doing? It's a complete change of directions, and that's what repentance is. And repentance also, as a part of it, is going to, to fully accept all of the consequences that come from your sin. Now, we, when we confess Christ as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven uh, in heaven. Now, our, our, our sins have been washed away. We saw earlier in Colossians, it's like God takes them and nails them to the cross. It's like a certificate of debt that's been fully paid by the blood of Jesus when he died on the cross. Fully paid for, but that doesn't remove earthly consequences of our sin. And Onesimus understands that, and now he's saying, I'm willing to submit to whatever circumstances, whatever consequences may come from me running away and stealing from my master. I'm coming under and willing to submit to that. That's sobering, right? But that's what Onesimus is doing. He's going back to reconcile with his master and to repent. And there's no guarantees of how Philemon is going to respond. But Paul is going to make an appeal to Philemon, which I, I can't wait to, to study that letter together. But this is what repentance looks like. Re- regardless of the consequences, I'm willing to accept them because I agree with God about how serious my sin is. There was once a, a newspaper ad taken out in the East African Standard, uh, a newspaper in Nairobi. Uh, and it said this. It says, All debts... To be paid. Uh, I, Alan uh, Haringwai, uh, alias uh, Wanyek Haringwai, of P.O. Box 4380, Nairobi, have dedicated services to the Lord Jesus Christ. I must put right all my wrongs. If I owe you any debt or damage personally, or any of the companies I have been director or partner, i.e. Guaranteed Services, LTD, Water Pumps Electrical and General Company, uh, Sales and Service LTD, please contact me or my advocates at J.K. Kibicho and Company Advocates, P.O. Box 73137, Nairobi, for a settlement. No amount will be disputed. God and His Son, Jesus Christ, will be glorified. Think about that. You're the man who announces to everybody, hey, I've defrauded many of you. Let me take out an ad in the newspaper. And what does he say? He says, no amount will be disputed. If I've taken from you in any way or you even think it's possible, just call my, call my office, call the law office, and we will get you taken care of. And what was his goal? To glorify God. To, to, to make restitution, to repent of everything that he had done. Reminds you also of the wee little man named Zacchaeus. right? Luke 19. Uh, That's what we see here, and that's what Onesimus is doing, running back to his master to repent, to reconcile. And and overall, what we see this morning is that these these two men, ordinary men, seemingly insignificant, but God used them because they were faithful. They don't have big names. They don't have uh, even cool names. Like I said, you don't see many people named Tychicus or, uh, uh, or Onesimus. You see a lot of Pauls. Uh, and Timothy's, uh, but you don't see uh, people named after these men. But their, their lives and their service still teach us today and encourage us to look to Christ in faith and to serve him faithfully.
in whatever he might call us to do. These men were, were common instruments. They were that, that violin that people were like, that's two bucks? No, I don't even want to spend three dollars on that. These were these men. And oftentimes we are that same way. But in the hands of a master, when the master touches ordinary instruments, what happens? They become extremely valuable in his hands. And they can be used by him to make beautiful and glorious music. Well, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you, worshiping you, acknowledging that we don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. And yet, Lord, you have saved us through faith in Christ. You have not only saved us, but you have adopted us and brought us into your family. You call us sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ. And now we have the rich and amazing blessing to be used by you as instruments in your hands to proclaim the gospel to others. And long, uh, Lord, even though we, we may not have large roles in the kingdom, Lord, we have significant roles. And that you use us, even our small acts of obedience can and will be used by you for your glory, honor, and praise. So Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in the little things that you have entrusted to us. Help us to do those little things with our eyes upon Christ. Help us to do our work heartily for you and not for men. And Lord, help us to entrust our reward to you. Not seeking the praise and honor of men. Not seeking paths on the back, but Lord, heavenly rewards. We long to be faithful. We long to be ordinary and to be used by you in significant ways. Lord, may you be with us this week. May you give us opportunities to share your gospel. May you give us opportunities to be faithful and to do everything in your name. We ask in the precious and magnificent name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.